And we are off to the races. We are in a series called Disciple, uh, which has the subtitle Following Jesus Today. Um, and if so, if you're new, if you haven't been around for most of last year, we were in the Old Testament, just kind of getting a really big picture overview of how that fits with the New Testament. And now we're focusing on uh, a series on discipleship, which is a great opportunity for us to look at some of the values that really shape our community as a church. Um, and uh, we have a manifesto. Uh, it's really simple. We've been saying it for years, and Vic has been trying to drill it into our skulls. Uh, so let's see if it has worked. I don't know. Do you guys know our manifesto? It, we had a video about it. Uh, helping people find and follow Jesus. Awesome. Great. It worked. <laughs> um, tonight we are going to be focusing on uh, the helping portion um, and particularly the first section of uh, basically actually both values in that helping section. Those two values are we are a community that desires and seeks to be Holy Spirit empowered and we're also a community that desires and seeks to be servants like Jesus. So um, right there, I'm, I'm sure you, that's the type is really small. Vic did a great job of trying to make it as big as possible. I'm just going to read it really quick. Um, the Holy Spirit empowered value is simply this. The Holy Spirit is our connection with the presence and power of Jesus. And therefore, we live in sincere dependency on him. He comes alongside us as our helper, giving diverse gifts to Christians so that they may serve and build up the church and society. And aware of these God-given spiritual gifts, we actively seek opportunities in which to exercise them. And then on top of that, we uh, have this value of serving. So uh, if we just uh, pop that one up on the screen. or that's not there. That's okay. Uh, I'll just read that one quickly. Uh, Brian actually preached on service and then uh, a couple weeks ago. And then uh, Mike uh, preached on hospitality, which is another one of the values, but actually totally fits with service. Um, And it's simply this. We gladly give up our rights and resources and actively demonstrate sacrificial love by serving others in Jesus' name. We are not customers who consume religious goods or chase comfortable experiences. It's not about the lights and the smoke and the woo-woo, although that stuff is great and can be very helpful, um, but that's just not something we uh, prioritize. We're, we're servants who contribute to meet the needs of others. And, and really together, if you put those together, that's sort of like a more uh, maybe detailed way of trying to explain and give voice to the fact that we have this theological conviction. We are a church that is a charismatic church or a continuationist church. Basically what that means is that we believe that the same kind of amazing, supernatural, powerful stuff that you are going to encounter if you read the Gospels and Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we believe that Jesus is still interested in doing that stuff today. Um, we don't believe that stopped. We don't believe that uh, all the that that story in the Book of Acts has ended. We believe it's it's going on still, and so we ought to expect it and anticipate it and pray for it and try to be open for what God wants to do with that. Um, and we should expect Jesus wants to do things like give people supernatural perspective in other people's lives for their good, which is uh, a big part of what prophecy is. Um, we want to expect uh, that God wants to give uh, special wisdom for people, for, for situations in that exact moment that just perfectly lines up. Actually, I feel like this happens with me and Corey all the time. Um, we have a bunch of great conversations, and just part of, part of our conversations is 
lifting weights. And then part of that is just talking about life and Jesus. And uh, we just have all sorts of moments where things that I will say to him or he will say to me just intersect perfectly with what we need to hear in, in terms of helping us love and follow Jesus. Spiritual gifts of wisdom. We believe that God still wants to physically heal people. Um, not just in response to uh, prayers for doctors to have wisdom to do what they do best in helping our God's design of na- the natural process, but also that God wants to heal people like literally in the moment, in a, a single instance. Um, that God wants to emotionally heal people, free people from demonic oppression, even raise the dead. We believe that that stuff happens. And that God is open and interested in doing that in our midst. And then also enable people to express praise and prophecy in languages that they don't know, which is what the gift of tongues is. So those are all things, and there's more than that, but like those are all things that we believe that the New Testament expects us to anticipate and seek and be open to in our Christian life and as we operate as a church. And today I want to explore basically how the New Testament teaches us to have the mindset and then also the actions that make space for that power from the Holy Spirit. And the big idea is simply this. I guess maybe this is maybe the more complicated version, but it's when we've sacrificed our ego cravings, which is my little short form for what the New Testament describes as the flesh or the the sinful nature. When we sacrifice that and trusting in Jesus' love, we make space for the Spirit's power as we love each other. So very simply put, we make space for power with love and surrender. Um, so that's the, that's the main idea. And, and you know, in terms of uh, getting a, a really clear th- New Testament theology of spiritual gifts and spiritual power and how we ought to be using that as a church, we actually have a letter that really focuses on this in the New Testament. And that letter is a letter from Paul. It's his first letter to the Corinthians. So that's 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend a bunch of time in 1 Corinthians 14, so I just want to invite you to scroll or tap or turn your pages in your Bibles uh, so that we can take a look at that. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Let me do, let me practice what I'm preaching and actually do it myself. Uh, awesome. So I'm not going to uh, go through all of 14, 1 Corinthians 14. There's a lot of stuff in here about how spiritual gifts practically works. I'm actually, this is not going to be so much a crash course on uh, things like tongues and prophecy, which is kind of what Paul spe- specifies and focuses on in the passage. Um, but I really want to focus on one, in, one verse in particular, which I think actually is a really key frame for the way that we need to think overall about how we can be the kind of people that make space for the Holy Spirit to work among us. And that's actually verse 12. So that's going to come up on the screen. So basically Paul says this. He says, look, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, which is what spiritual gifts are, it's not like superpowers that the Holy Spirit hands out. It's him actually doing stuff through you. Um, Since you want manifestations of the Spirit, this is what you should do. You should strive, try really hard to be really good, to excel in building up the church. Which begs the question, what in the world is building up? That's a metaphor. Uh, he doesn't literally mean try to turn each other into a bunch of human bricks. He, he wants to do something. He, he's saying something else. And, and the funny thing is he actually uses the same metaphor earlier on in 1 Corinthians, which is in 1 Corinthians 8. And in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, he, he says, um, he has this little line. It's going to pop up uh, on the screen in a second. Um, 
the first part, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we're not going to talk about that at all. That's a big rabbit trail. I'm going to just set that one aside, ignore that for a second. And also, we all know, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So essentially what Paul is saying is when he talks about the building up language, and actually Corey referred to it earlier during the confession moment, when he talks about building up, he's actually talking about, it's another term for loving people. And loving people in a way that actually makes them stronger and more stable and more free, uh, more secure. Um, That's what building up is. And the thing is, is, uh, funny enough, sometimes we think to ourselves that really what we need is uh, a particular kind of church practice, whether that's like a musical worship service, those will, more of those will build us up, or more theological information, uh, or more Bible reading, those things will build us up. And those things actually do, can build us up, but I, I would actually argue that they don't actually necessarily, unless we experience them, as love. So love is actually still at, at the very heart of it. When, when you are impacted by a song, the truth of a song, Jesus didn't say the music will set you free. He said the truth will set you free. Um, and, and the thing is, is the truth sets you free when you experience it as love. And so um, there's that. But then also for me, as someone who loves uh, learning about the details about how God works and how he wants us to live, which is what theology is supposed to be, um, I experience that in a way that builds me up, makes me more stable and strong and secure when I experience it as God's love. And the thing is, is um, we actually need something. More than just simply more experiences, more power. Um, we actually need, uh, like I've just been saying, love. And if, and if you actually just have spiritual gifts minus spiritual love, it actually makes you nothing but noise, which is what Paul uh, is going to make the point of right before the passage we're going to focus on in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you flip the page... Um, And you just look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. I'm just going to read that. Paul says this. He says, If I speak in the tongues, if I have the ability to speak in these languages of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And he says, this is what love is. This is what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, he says, love never ends. And the thing is, is one of the things, or, yeah, one of the, one of the things I've, I've had to experience in the course of my Christian life, I've, I've had the opportunity of being in a lot of different church contexts, a lot of different denominational contexts, and some of those have been in those contexts where other people believe, like I do, that God still wants to do supernatural things today. And in one of those experiences, I, as I look back, um, and I'm not going to name the context because it's been a while, and I, I really hope and have prayed that that context has changed, but I've experienced the pain of what happens when you have the power but not the love. And it's really, really, and, and, 
and basically, in, I had a church experience where God is doing something really amazing in a particular community. There was a lot of spiritual gift stuff showing up. And, and I got to experience that in a way that was really impactful for my own life. But as time went on, people actually started to s- stop seeing those gifts as really about reaching across boundary li- lines to love people that weren't like them. Um, and started seeing them as basically ways to experience a platform. And over time, that actually led to the breakdown of that community. And uh, it was really painful to see. Uh, there was, uh, over time, there became the very obvious in-crowd and out-crowd, um, partly because of some of the way that this power was working, but also because of other things, like when you see a ministry have a lot of success, sometimes a lot of time people want to support that financially uh, for good reason. Uh, people want to be a part of that. People want to s- see that, and there's crowds and and all these resources that show up, but then there can be there became basically an in crowd and out crowd. Yeah, and there was a, there was essentially a breakdown. And and now as I look back on some of those experiences, there's a lot of sweetness in those as I remember the kind of things that God did. But there's also a lot of pain and bittersweet memories. Um, and so that's why in verse fourteen, in verse fourteen, verse one, if you want to turn the page again, so Paul says, pursue love. But then he says this, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And he says, especially that you may prophesy. So contrary to what some people do and some traditions do in, in terms of saying, well, what we really should do, because we're not really sure about how people have misused spiritual gifts in the past, we should maybe let those be like sit on the side. Um, or we need to really focus on the power because that's when we really see God showing up and doing amazing things. Paul actually says that we need to be pursuing both at the same time. One of the things I've, I've experienced also in other communities, I grew up in a, in a community that wasn't continuationist or charismatic where they didn't expect these sorts of things. In Jesus-loving communities like that, there tends to be a, a, a great emphasis on pursuing love. And at the same time, in other kinds of communities, um, Jesus-loving communities that are or continuationist or charismatic, tends to be also prioritizing of power because we believe that those things happen and it's amazing when God does, does those sorts of things and we see life change and it's, it's just awesome. It's, it's really cool to see. Um, but we need to actually prioritize something else, which is building up, which is really what Paul has been saying, what I mentioned Paul says before, which is actually this combination of the two, that with the power you actually have a, a greater opportunity for love, but if you don't have the love, there's actually no building up going on at all. And so these aren't meant to be separate. We make space for power with love and with surrender. And then, in, yeah, there's, there's basically we need to strive to excel at this. And I, I just want to say really practically, one of the ways you can do that is just look around and pay attention um, to your neighbors. When you guys are in community group, when you're with each other, when you meet people on Sunday and you interact, people talk about their week, week and they, when you actually ask, actually ask, how are you? And mean it. So don't just say it as a, as a thing. Uh, that's, it's a really simple thing. And then listen to them. Like actually sit back, listen, and even practice active listening. Say, okay, so what I'm hearing is this, is that that must have felt, and, and then imagine what, what that felt like. It's really basic stuff. But as you listen, as you learn to pay attention, you actually start to see needs. And then you can pray and you can go, Jesus, is there anything you want me to say or do to help meet this need? And then as you do that, you have an expectation. Maybe he actually wants to do something supernatural, 
not just something that you thought of, but something actually significant. Maybe he wants you to pray over them. Maybe he wants you to tell them something. Maybe he gives you a special insight into their life that you actually can share them. You say, I don't know if this is God, but this is just something I sense. Maybe this encourages you, and then just share it. That's a really simple way to make space for power with love. And I want to talk about why this matters. This matters because spiritual power without spiritual love, like I mentioned just a bit earlier, is very destructive. Part of the reason that um, it hurts so much in the last few years, and I mean, it's been happening before that, but for me, um, I've had, it's been really painful to watch so many uh, leaders who are, who are really significant in my faith journey, especially my teen years and young adults, leaders crash and burn and just hang their ministries uh, on a gallows, uh, essentially. And just, it, I've, watching friends deconstruct, I've had, I'm not, I've had about 10 friends from Bible college deconstruct in the last probably three years, um, which is just really painful because I, it was a small community. It's like a little village. It's like 150 people. Um, and when you're that close, it, it hurts when people close to you walk away from Jesus. And um, part of that is because they had a lot of spiritual power. Um, and it's legit spiritual power. It, it genuinely can be legit spiritual power. And I think an example of this is actually the example of one of Jesus' own apostles named Judas Iscariot. One of the things that's really interesting about Judas is we don't ever get the impression that he's singled out as not being given the kind of power that Jesus commissions his apostles with to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Which means that he's actually walking around with, probably with a partner, one of the other guys, and he's doing the same stuff that all of them are doing. And what we see when we look at the end of his story is he actually isn't, he doesn't know Jesus. He actually, he actually didn't really trust him. And, it, and this actually fits something, a really scary warning that Jesus gives in Matthew 7 at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, not a couple, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Judas was spirit-empowered, but he wasn't ego-freed. He was actually even entrusted with the, the apostolic bank account. <laughs> He's the guy, it's, it's crazy, you read the, the stories of the Last Supper, and when, when Jesus actually tells Judas, go and do what you are going to do. Jesus knows he's going to betray him. Uh, one of the gospel accounts actually says that the, the other apostles are like, oh, maybe he's going to go feed the poor or something with the money because they know that he's entrusted with the bank account. He has all this power and all this trust. Yet he's the guy who ends up betraying everybody. And why? And I think the simple answer is this. Judas couldn't bear the cross. He couldn't handle that. And that's because of his ego. Faced with the reality of losing, if he stuck with Jesus' team, he traded Jesus for money. And the reason we want money, guys, is because it gives us power. <laughs> it's resources, right? 
allows us, it, it's basically liquid, current, liquid currency to be able to get things that we want that will make our lives better. And Jesus was like, I'm gonna, uh, Judas was going to say, I'm going to lose with Jesus. So I'm, I'd, rather, I'd rather get 30 pieces of silver, which is actually not that much money. That's a cheap, that's a cheap price to sell Jesus at. And Judas's trade actually shows that he wanted to be made much of more than he wanted to trust Jesus, even if it meant losing with him. Judas sacrificed Jesus and the church to his own ego, which is what we do when we value spiritual power over the Holy Spirit's love. And then he hung himself. And I just want that to, I want to just let that sit there for a second. I know that's really serious and dark and tense, but like that's, that's the danger guys when we, because that's really, I mean, I, I know, like I can think of a spiritual leader who was influential in my own growth in my late teens, early twenties. He has shot himself since, since I started following him. And that's why this matters. That's why it matters that we so, so much that we connect spiritual love and spiritual power as one thing. And we don't pick one over the other. And really, at the end of the day, if we pick the power over the love, my Jesus-loving cessationist friends are actually in a far safer place. And Paul teaches us about this in Galatians. He says that he teaches about the way of the cross, and that it's basically this, that it's the way of surrender. Galatians 5, 24, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, says this, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've been using the language of ego. Oh, hi Siri. Siri is paying attention to my sermon, so hopefully that means you are too. Um, yeah, I've been using this language of ego or ego cravings to describe the, the flesh because I, I really do think that if you look at the New Testament, that, that's actually a pretty good paraphrase. And it's what happens when we put self, when we put the lusts of our body and the lusts, lusts of our eyes and the pride of our life first. It's the self-centeredness of the human condition. That's what, that's what Paul means when he talks about the flesh. And he says that if you belong to Jesus, if you pick the way of Jesus, you say, Jesus is Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to trust him enough with my life that I'm going to follow him even there. I, I set that aside. I surrender those things. And Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, my identity, my, in, in the social world that, I'm tempted to think in, in my human context that I'm tempted, tempted to see as the most important. My social status, that's been crucified. My old identity has been crucified with Christ. And so it's no longer I who live. It's not my identity ultimately that I bear. It's Jesus' identity. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul's saying is like, you let go of your ego, your cravings, your social standing to embrace the freedom that comes from dying to those things and the freedom of being freely loved by Jesus when none of those things got to contribute to him thinking that you are worth loving and dying for. Not only that, but it, it causes you to give love to others. 
Essentially, it means that you let go of being enough because you're loved. Because Jesus has justified you, and that's the only thing that matters ultimately. And so I can give up everything because I'll never ultimately lose. I pick up my cross. And so in that, in Galatians 4, uh, 4 verse 6, Paul says, because you are sons, because you've been adopted into that family, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And girls, that doesn't leave you out because what Paul's saying, he's saying that the, the, the sonship status in Roman society also applies to women, not just men, which is why he doesn't say sons and daughters is because he's trying to actually talk about a social status thing, a full inheritance rights thing. Um, and if a son, then an heir through God. And that gives us hope. And it's actually from that mentality that we do what Paul says in Galatians 5.25. I know we're jumping around this letter a lot. But he says, if we live by the Spirit, that is, we've been given the Holy Spirit, so we, we don't live in this world where we, our social status matters in the way that it does, and our ego matters, and our cravings matter so much. If we, if we live not in that world, but in the world that is, is basically a world where we're absolutely freely loved because of what Jesus has done for us. If we live by the Spirit, then we also actually have to keep in line with that reality. We have to keep in step with the Spirit. And then he says, this is what it looks like. In verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited, which is what our ego does, our self-centeredness does. And then what, what happens when we get conceited? We get all up on our, in our status game. He says we start provoking other people because we're flexing on other people. And he says, and then, and then if you're not there, if you're not high enough on that hierarchy, you start envying one another. And so Paul's like, you let go of that stuff, man. You die to that stuff. You follow Jesus. You have a brand new life because you live in the love of the Father. But there's a tension, in, and this is the tension. It's that love is hard, <laughs> right? If love was so, it's so funny. You can summar, Jesus summarized the, the, the Ten Commandments, what God actually wants from human beings. He says, love God, love your neighbor. If it was that simple, we'd just do it. Nobody would ever get hurt. We would just love people. It'd be easy. But love is hard. And I was just thinking about why. And I think, I think part of it is that we, love is kind of scary, actually. <laughs> if you think about really, truly, being willing to sacrifice and put somebody else before you, it feels like you're going to miss out. And that's a big part of what makes love is hard. Uh, these are the things that I think about. I'm worried that love will enslave me sometimes. That I'll be stuck in this relationship where I have to sacrifice and I have to give and give and give and then my needs won't get met. I fear that it's going to keep me from reaching my full potential. Gosh, we so talk about that all the time in our culture. And it, the funny thing is, is it's actually not completely misguided because the, the, in Romans 8, Paul says that the, the plan of God is that he predestines us and then he calls us and then he justifies us and the ultimate destiny is glorification. So actually, you're intended to go to a particular level of potential. It's just not designed to be before you kick the bucket. You die before you reach your full potential. That's what Jesus did, and he's the model that we follow. We, sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to get taken advantage of if I love people, if I sacrifice myself in service for them. That they're going to just not see it and like just, I don't know, bulldoze me over or just be like, eh, well, but I, I'm going to put all this work in for them. I'm going to try to be kind to them, show up for them, and they're just not even going to see it. Or they're just going to be like, oh, sweet, you owe me that. So now they're not even going to recognize that. They're just like keep expecting it and being really unfair to me. Other, other things like 
FOMO, straight up, I just, I want to do other things that are more fun. Loving people a lot of the time is not fun. Because it, it requires us a service. You put yourself lower to put somebody's needs before your own. And so I fear missing out. There's more fun, more cool things that I'd rather do. And the other thing too is sometimes I worry that I just have to put up with less than the best. I have a sinful tendency to perfectionism. And so sometimes putting up with people's less than awesome is annoying. It's grating on my self-centeredness and my ego. It's bad. Perfectionism is sin. Like, don't let anyone tell you any, any different. And I don't want to be disappointed at the end of the day. Sometimes I'm worried that if I love people, I'll be disappointed. And there's this line from, uh, there's a band that I really uh, like called Mumford and Sons. I don't know if there's any Mumford fans in here, but uh, there's this song called uh, Sigh No More. And in the, in the bridge, uh, Marcus Mumford sings, he says, Love, it will not betray you, dismay, or enslave you. It will set you free. Be more like the man you were made to be. Which is exactly what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And he, as I was thinking more about this, I was thinking about the actual truths that confront every single one of those fears that I just laid out. When I'm, in, I'm afraid that loving people enslave or inconvenience me, I have to remember that Jesus is Lord and his lordship frees. Guys, sometimes we also like to do this split where we say that Jesus is, you can accept Jesus as your savior, but not as your Lord. I, I'm just telling you, Jesus cannot save you unless he's Lord. He cannot save you from the things that enslave you and oppress you unless he has more power than them. And the only way he saves you, if he steps into your life and he says, I'm taking charge of your life, you get to be under my name, under my bank account, under my identity and my moral standing. You accept me as Lord or you don't accept me at all. And he's committed to freeing me now. Galatians 5.1 says this. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Any yoke of slavery other than submitting yourself to the lordship of Jesus, which is true freedom. I gotta keep going. Uh, keep it, the, the fear that it keeps me from reaching my full potential. Do you know what my full potential is? I, I, I alluded to it earlier. It's resurrection. Resurrection is your full potential, guys. Your body will break down and it will fade. You will lose your beauty and your wisdom and your strength. Doesn't matter what kind of hierarchy you find yourself at the top of. You're all gonna you're gonna age and die. Well, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity. It's here. It's it's gone. And so the hope of that Jesus brings in conquering death is that resurrection is your full potential. And you will be more glorious, more powerful, more beautiful. It's like Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15. It's like a seed to a tree. Your humanity right now is like seed form. When you die and are resurrected, when Jesus comes back, you, you're going to be like the tree version of your seed self. Okay? You won't even be able to imagine the glory that you'll have. And do you know what that frees you to do? It frees you to lose now. You do not have to win. You do not have to go on all the craziest vacations, achieve all of the work accolades, like win in all the different ways that people 
tell you that you should totally value because you're going to die and live forever. Be more powerful than you could possibly be. And you will be more full of love than you could even imagine. And so you'll be able to be responsible with that power. And that is the destiny that Jesus saved you for. So that you would experience the love of God in eternity, forever, reigning with Jesus. That's what you're for. Don't sell yourself short. That's what the cross bought for you. And then what I'm afraid of getting taken advantage of. Jesus was taken advantage of. Do you know how his story ended? <laughs> Ruling the universe. That's how his story ended up. You can, af- you can afford to be taken advantage of. It's like Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because of the new creation, I only get to miss out on the good, never the best. This is the inheritance. This is the hope that we were singing about, guys. This is the hope that we're called to. And when I have to put up with less than the best, (laughs) and I'm afraid of getting disappointed, do I have to remember that Jesus loves me when I am far worse than disappointing. Jesus loved you at your worst. He can put up with when you're just kind of disappointing. And if that's true, then you can put up with other people's being kind of disappointing. And while we were focused on avoiding enslavement and pursuing our full potential and its accolades, and getting so powerful we'd never get taken advantage of, and doing everything we could not miss out on, Jesus got himself stripped naked and lynched for you. And for me. And he embraced all those things that we avoid so that we would be free and eternally, securely loved. Don't you want to give yourself to someone like that? Guys, the Holy Spirit shows up when we, it's so funny. You, if you focus on the Holy Spirit, sometimes, sometimes people, theologians will like to talk to him, about him as like the shy member of the, the Trinity. Because the thing is, is like if you focus on the Holy Spirit, then sometimes he kind of pulls back. But if you focus on Jesus and, and the way that the Father expresses his love through Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he mediates all of that stuff to us. And we're filled with the power of his love. And that actually expresses itself in supernatural power. But the thing is, is is your ego really worth following more than the love that I've just tried to display and put out to you in Jesus' cross? Ask yourself that. See, it's because of all the hopes I've laid out that I get to sacrifice and crucify my egocentric fears and cravings to Jesus in trust. And so that frees me to serve and be kind to people that I don't really feel like being kind to and feel like I'm going to, my life is going to suck more if I be kind to you and serve you and put you first. But I, I get to remember that Jesus loves me and he's fully capable of repaying me for things that I feel like I'm going to miss out on. And the fruit of that is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And so, as we finish, I just want to ask you, I focus on three things before I want to, I want to call Tom Dunleavy up to tell you a story about how Jesus has been working in his life this week in this way. What do you fear you'll lose if you sacrifice for Jesus or others?
There's another Mumford. It's a Mumford kind of night tonight. There's another Mumford line that I love uh, from a song called Delta. And the bridge goes like this. It, does, it says, does your love, what you call love, when you, does that prefer the other person? Or does it just make you, or does your love just make you feel good? And he sings, does my love prefer the other? Does my love just make me feel good? The point that I've been trying to make tonight, guys, is that we make space for power with love and surrender. So I want to just invite Tom to come up and just tell a story uh, just about how he's experienced that. This, right, Tom? Yeah. I'm up here. Hi. Um, yeah, I want to tell you a story. It's, it's, it's a pretty neat one. And um, I'll try and keep myself composed. Because God is really beautiful, the way he, he reaches people. Um, and, and Vic and Ryan can help connect the dots with this story I'm going to share. Um, so this is, this is my, my wallet now. And all I carry in this is my phone. I have my health card, my driver's license, my credit card. I don't carry cash. Not because I'm a conspiracy theorist. Just, it's, I just don't need to carry cash. That's my phone, the same phone that made the siren sound two weeks ago during the service. <laughs> so I keep it off <laughs> during the service. Um, and another piece of my story is uh, last Saturday, uh, I took my mom with me out and to run an errand. And we went through the Tim Hortons drive through and uh, bought her a coffee. So while we were driving back, we were in my car. And uh, my mom, sh- she has this thing with money. She wanted to pay for it but she doesn't fully understand the concept of money. So she's trying to, I'm driving, and she's trying to take money out of her purse to like, because she wants to treat me to the coffee, right? And so, but I don't want her money, you know? And, and I can see like, she, I, she carries a lot of cash in her purse. And so she's like got filing through these hundreds and fifties and twenties, okay? So, and I, I just didn't want it, but I was kind of fed up, like, with this situation with her trying to, so I just, as I'm driving, I opened my, my glove, not your glove, my console, just without looking, and I said, here, mom, just put it in here, because I was fed up, and I lifted the lid, and then she, whatever, she put some money in there. So, on Monday, um, around lunchtime, I went to the Tim Hortons at Salem Road in the 401, and uh, when I walked in, um, I was waiting in line, and uh, I was just finishing up a phone call for work, and there was a young lady just, I guess, who was just collecting her coffee from the counter. And when she turned and walked by me, it's as she was maybe in her mid-20s, I could f- tell that she was really distressed, like really, like breathing heavy, like she looked emotional, kind of frantic, you know, and I didn't know why. And she walked by me. And in that instant, I'm like, I need, I need to do something for this girl. I don't know what, you know. But, you know, you just feel something, an urge. And when you feel an urge to do something good for someone, there's a very good chance that's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not overcomplicated, right? So I finish up my phone call, and I see her walking out, but it's my turn to order. And in my heart, you know, and sometimes you, you say these prayers in your heart and your mind. I'm like, God, I need to get to that girl before she leaves. I don't know where she's going. She's going out to the parking lot. But it's my turn. There's people in line behind me, and... So I'm like, okay, so I go up to order my coffee and I'm looking out the window and I'm like, man, I hope she doesn't leave. But I see her walking towards a car. So I quickly order my coffee and then 
I'm hoping she doesn't leave. And I look out and I can see her out the window and I'm hoping the girl's going to make my coffee quick. I guess the coffee must have been really important to me. I don't know. I was just, you know, caught up in it. And so, but I see her open the door of her car, but then she's looking around, going through all their pockets, but frantic, like, you know, and I'm, and then I realized, oh, maybe she can't find her wallet. Maybe she was coming back in to pay for a coffee. Maybe she can't find her keys. I don't know. So as I'm standing there and my heart is racing, so I'm like, I want to reach this girl. And I look down and in behind the counter here, there's the coffee machine where they, with the coffee and, and there's keys just hanging half under it, a set of keys, half under it, right on the counter. And I look out and all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, I bet you those are her keys. So I said to the girl working, are those your keys? She goes, no. So I grabbed the keys. I forget about the coffee and I go out and I walk over to this girl in the parking lot and she's there. And I said, Hey, are these your keys? And she gets really emotional and she says, yes. And she's, She's weeping and bawling and just very fragile, you know. She's overcome. And there's a lot, like, weight, but she also feels relieved that I found her keys, you know. And she just starts spilling out, like, but she's very, so I said, listen, why don't we sit down for a minute? Because she's still kind of, I needed to calm her down, you know. So I said, why don't we just sit here on the, on the curb? And so we sat down and, uh. I was just trying to calm her down, you know, and so she's just telling me about her life and how her life feels like it's collapsing on her because she just found out her mom has a terminal illness and she can't get her, she said, I can't get my life together and I'm such a loser and she's just really beating herself up, you know, and so I listened and in my heart, I'm like, this is, this is why I'm here, you know, this is because the Spirit of God is in us to reach people, right? And so I'm just listening to her. And so I just um, let her, and then I slowly start to kind of calm her down and cheer her up and just ask her things about herself. And after about 15 minutes, she's kind of calm again, you know? And uh, found out that she needed to be somewhere. And um, so I said, and, and I went and got her some Kleenex, came back out, and I, st- and I just wanted to encourage her. And I said, you know, I just want to tell you something. I said, you're young, your whole life is ahead of you. And and there's all your best days are still ahead of you. And God has a plan for your life. And she starts getting very emotional again. And she says, man, my, I live with my friend and her mom. And her mom keeps telling me the same thing you're telling me, you know. <laughs> and so we proceed and I end up... Um, you know, telling her, I go to this church, City Gates Church in Ajax, and I tell her about Alpha, and I invite her to Alpha. I said, Alpha, I said, I believe, uh, Melissa, God is reaching out to you, and I believe that you're looking for him, and I think Alpha can put you guys in touch with each other, you know, and, and I would love for you to come. So I get, I invite her, whatever, and so we're talking, and uh, so we get her calm. I said, listen, I know you got to be somewhere. She says, yeah, and so, she, so we get up, and and um, I got her to look up City Gates Church Alpha on her phone. And it felt, and I'm like, God, that was so wonderful. Because here's someone who was distraught and needed help. And you put me here for just this moment, you know. I'm like, that's beautiful. You know, because it is beautiful, right? And so she goes to walk to her car. And as I'm going to get in my car, I don't really know why. I just had an urge on this thought, give her some money like well it's kind of hard to do unless she takes tap credit card (laughs) and I opened my car door and then what did I remember I'm like my mom I think put some money in my 
So I, I opened it and there was a $100 bill and a $50 bill and a $20 bill in there and that my mom put in there. So I just, I grabbed the $100 bill. I don't really know why. I grabbed it and I folded it in my, and I, and I went over to her at her car and I said, wait, wait, there's something I want to give you. And she turned around and I opened my hand and she like dropped, she doubled over and almost dropped, you know, she keeled over and started sobbing. And she, and she just sounded like she couldn't breathe. And she just kept saying, you don't understand, you don't understand. And in my, my heart, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I understand. You're just, it's a nice gesture and you're moved by it. That's what I'm thinking, right? I'm like, I kind of do understand, you know, you're overwhelmed by this kind act. That's okay. And she's doubled over and she couldn't, she just kept saying, you don't understand. And so finally, she, I, I helped her up. she says to me through her she, she fumbled through it because she's so overcome she says yesterday I was walking through a parking lot and she says and she says I'm I'm hard up for money right now she says and a man walking ahead of me dropped a hundred dollar bill out of his wallet she said I, he didn't see it and she said I picked it up and I wanted to keep it she says, but I felt the right thing to do was to give it back to him. So I went after him and I gave him the $100 bill. And she said, and here you are standing here the next day trying to give me $100. Is this coincidence, do you think? Guys, this is not coincidence. This is how God reaches people. You know, and I didn't know this was all going to happen. And I said that to her. I said, here's what I think, Melissa. I said, I think God saw you yesterday because he's seen you every day of your life. When you were being knitted together in the darkness of your mother's womb, that was God putting you together, forming you for a purpose. He made you and he loves you and he sees you every day. Every day of your life is recorded in his book. Even today and even yesterday and even the day my mom put that money in there. And so we had a little chat and uh, I just reminded her, please come, you know, or, you know, I, I hope she looks us up. But I walked away from that and I was like, I was so, I was bursting for the rest of the day because I'm like, God, you love people that much that you would orchestrate those, that sequence of events. And even in that instant, you know, I forgot that, that I didn't know what my mom had put in there and I opened it. And I, why did I grab only the $100 bill? Would it have been the same if I grabbed just the $20 bill? You know, God did that. So I'm going to give it back to these guys because they can help connect the dots to this, this message, okay? Thanks so much, Tom. Yeah. Does your love prefer the other? Or does it just make you feel good? We make space for that power um, with love and surrender. And and there there's an openness that we need to just whatever God wants to do um, when it comes to loving people. And uh, 
just from that, uh, Vix is just going to move uh, us into a ministry time. We're going to take communion together and remember uh, all that Jesus has given for us again physically in these elements. And so I'm just going to hand it over to him. Would you stand? I'm going to take communion and um, this is a serious moment. For us as a church, we encourage believers in Jesus to do this. That's how significant it is. If you aren't a Christ follower, we're asking you to sit out on this one. But um, if you want to become a Christian, yeah, take communion as a statement of faith. Often when communion is taken, ministers would say things like, feed on him in your heart by faith. And what Ryan has spoken about, about surrendering to Jesus, having faith in Him, you can take communion as an act of faith, as saying, yeah, I do surrender to Jesus. Because those two elements represent the body and the blood of Jesus. It represents that surrendering that He did. So that He can rightfully ask you to do the same, to surrender your life. And that's why Christians go back to this meal over and over again as often as we can. You know, when Jesus was praying on the night of his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's called the Mount of Olives. My wife's actually been there. She's seen those olive trees. And in the Old Testament, olives was not just good to eat, but good to press for oil. And in the Bible, oil is a metaphor for the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit. And so what Ryan talked about in terms of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, it comes through love and surrender. It's because Jesus did it first. In that garden, He surrendered Himself because of His love for you. He submitted to the Father's will and actually, he was crushed, as the Bible says. On that cross, the wrath of God fell upon him and not us. And just like you would have to crush an olive to get the oil out. So Jesus was crushed on that cross. When he was praying on the Mount of Olives, he knew that this crushing would result in the spirit of Jesus being poured out on all flesh. So as we take communion now, that's, I want you to, to think about all of those realities. You would love and surrender as you stare the love and surrender of our God in the face through these elements. And as you take communion, that you would feed on Him in your heart by faith and say, Lord, I will love and surrender the way you've done it too. Will you empower me by your Spirit so I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit to make me live like this. To have my own Tom story, your own hundred bull story, whatever it is, your encounter with someone because you have surrendered your will, your cup of coffee, your 15 or 20 minutes break, whatever it is, your stuff, you've surrendered it. And the Holy Spirit is able to use it. So won't you make your way to the table? I'm gonna sing that song spirit break out but you take communion and, and do it on your own 
Thank Jesus for His love and surrender. His crushing meant the oil of the Spirit could be yours in this moment.